Impossible True Stories from Beyond the Imagination A podcast from the book Coma and Near-Death Experience The Beautiful, Disturbing and Dangerous World of the Unconscious Your host is Barry Mayer Everybody who enters a medically induced coma and comes back has a different story to tell. For some, the procedure is simply a blank in their lives, but others undergo life-changing events. Events so real, so rich in every detail that they're never the same person again. This is Corey's story. Corey is a chaplain at the vast UAB hospital complex in Birmingham, Alabama. He's also an eight-year veteran of the U.S. Marine Corps. One day he was fighting fit. The very next, he's flat on his back in the very hospital where he works. He has a mysterious infection, determined to kill him. With the doctors running out of options, Corey is placed into a coma and pumped full of antibiotics. From that moment on, Corey should have no memory of anything. But he does. This is just one account from the book Coma and Near-Death Experience, The Beautiful, Disturbing and Dangerous World of the Unconscious. For Corey... What followed next simply confirmed his faith, but not in the way he'd previously imagined it. Prior to his illness, he was burning out from the workload, endlessly counseling bereaved families and comforting the dying. Now, when he talks of an afterlife, he has a whole new perspective, a first-hand account. On the ventilator, in a medically induced coma, I was self-aware. I could hear and process everything going on. Conversations were happening around me that I knew the answers to, but I was trapped inside my body. My body would not allow me to respond. I was seeing things that were actually in the room, but I wasn't in a position to see them. I could see the monitor with my blood pressure reading, and I could see it going up and down. It would drop all the way to 50 over 20, and all the way up to 190 over 120. I mean, it was just crazy. But I could see it in my mind, you know? In my mind. And it turns out, that's just how it happened. But as I went deeper, I felt like I was coming out of my body. Like I was floating away. And then, as they tried to bring me back off the propofol, I came back into my body. And there I was, present in the room. But it was now a totally different experience. I was in scenes from my life in the past. I was in a different hospital, the one where I lived in Houston, Texas, for nine years, and pastored a church out there. Yeah, I went back in time. I was back to those moments. I went back probably 20 years or so to a time where I had my Jeep Wrangler and used to love going on rides around the countryside here in Alabama. I wanted to de-stress, you know, just get away. I would drive around and see different parts of the state, and I was back on those rides. It was like I was stepping back into the old photos that decorate my home. I was having actual Kodak moments. It was just so real. Being with my dad in Montana, it felt like I was there. I could smell it all. I had all my senses. Oh yeah, I was talking to people, you know, talking to my dad. It was like I was back there, 100%. Next thing, I felt like I was flying, and it was so real. I remember flying and being able to reach my hand down to pick up the snow from the mountain peaks. And it was, you know, cold to my hands. 
And then, in gold writing, scripture verses came across in my mind. Like the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And it would come up and then fade out and disappear. And then, I shall not be in want, came up, word for word. And then it would fade out and disappear. But there were verses that I hadn't ever studied before. And when I was finally out of my coma, I was able to look up those verses. And they were exactly the verses in the Bible that were across in my mind. But I hadn't ever studied them before. I remember having such peace that if I died in that moment, it would have been okay. It would have been okay. And you know, I heard hymns from my church back when I was a kid. It is well with my soul. Just hearing the choir sing, I was right there in that moment. The way I see it, God is telling me it's going to be okay, you know, to trust me. But I didn't see an image of God. I didn't see a vision of Jesus or anything like that. I just saw a mountain of light. A massive, powerful, transcendent mountain of light. It was so unexplainably beautiful. I didn't have questions anymore. I just wanted to experience it. And I could hear praise music. Praise music that I've never heard before. I've looked for it, but I can't ever find it. But I can still hear that music in my mind. All this and a beautiful night sky with millions of stars all around. And to me, the experience proved my faith was real. This is a very real thing. And it put a definitive stamp on everything that I believed from my childhood to now. I don't have a fear of dying. I'm not afraid of it. I don't have the uncertainty of it that I had before. And I learned that God gives us exceedingly more grace as we near the end of life. In those moments of the dying process, we truly are with Him. This just confirms it. You don't have to fear. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be anxious. It's okay. It's okay. That was Corey's story, read to us by Jason Morgan, and just one of many accounts from the book Coma and Near-Death Experience, Alan Pierce's co-author of the book. Alan, that account was dramatically different from the first account we heard in this series. Why do people react to deep sedation in such dramatically different ways? We just heard how Corey benefited from the experience, but that's not always the case, is it? Corey here was very, very lucky in one sense to have his Christian background. For somebody who was, say, agnostic or had a completely different faith, they they would see it perhaps in something that they were more familiar with. And if they had no belief whatsoever, they're quite likely to, to think they've gone crazy. And it could be that the deeper down you go, the closer you get to death, And the point to bear in mind is anyone who's in a medically induced coma is already close to death and the medication is pushing them deeper. It could be that they really are at death's door and stepping over, as in the case of Corey. And when when that appears to happen, um, you're getting what's known generally as the NDE, the near-death experience. And this is happening to people every day. And it's been happening not just inside coma, but in all sorts of events where people are at death's door or perceiving death. And this happens across cultures, across time, across continents. You can go back as far as the Egyptian Book of the Dead and and find accounts so similar to Corey's, not necessarily with with the scripture verses, but the praise music and, and this incredible light, which is a major feature. 
You touched on it now in that answer, but if you could really pull it apart from us, why different people experience deep sedation and or coma in such dramatically different ways. You just said, you know, religious views are a part of that. Your spiritual outlooks are a part of that. And if, if you don't subscribe to any of those, potentially you'd think you've gone mad. Hypothetically, if you and I had the same illness, you and I found ourselves in the same hospital and we received the same medication when they put us down into a medically induced coma, the chances are we would have dramatically different experiences. The thing about coma, it's not as if there's a coma tablet, one size fits all. It's so many different things to different people. One often hears people describe uh, uh, drug experiences or psychedelic experiences very much the same way. The reason I bring that up is that oftentimes people who experiment with those kinds of things um, will often tell you that it's about wherever you're at in your head that's going to determine how you experience that, uh, in this case, psychedelic experience. And in the case of your book, coma experience, how true or untrue do you think that is? If you take the example of somebody who's taking psychedelics or perhaps somebody going into the deepest forms of meditation, they're preparing themselves for it. They're, they're, they've been told by others who've been before what to expect. Often they're guided by a master in some form. They're prepped for the whole event. People in coma are not prepped. No one even tells them before they sedate them that, by the way, you may have some very strange experiences and let's help put these in context first. No one ever does that. So they're just going straight into these these nightmarish worlds. It is a fact that the human body produces psychedelic compounds of its own. And it would appear that these are released at key moments of stress, that people experiencing Events such as chorus at their time of death are in many senses having a psychedelic experience. It's very interesting. And I think when one looks at someone like Corey's experience and you compare it, for instance, to Isabel's experience, and if you haven't listened to Isabel's episode, it was the first episode of this podcast. It's there are chalk and cheese, worlds and worlds and worlds apart. Now, what we do see in in cases of Isabel and other uh, survivors that, that you've spoken to is that some of them really, really struggle to come back into normal life after a coma experience. Some of them find it difficult to work or to do the work that they've done for many years. Now, with someone like Corey, would we assume that that's quite the opposite? Would we assume that Corey is now, how can one say, the new and improved Corey, as opposed to where I believe it was Deborah you spoke to, uh, who, you know, is, is finding a very difficult time adjusting to life after coma? Corey has a couple of really good things going for him, in addition to his faith. He, he's a former U.S. Marine. Uh, he served eight years. He was seriously fighting fit when he went into this. And I think with the way he was interpreting events within his coma and the fact that he was so physically strong enabled him to come out of this with a really positive outlook because what it's done, it's restored his faith, not not necessarily the faith as he perceived it, but he now is aware that there is an afterlife. Uh, and that's given him a huge drive. 
other people coming out of this, having a similar experience, just think they've gone mad. It's as simple as that. And they can't talk to anybody about it. They can't talk to doctors about it. They can't talk to their friends and family about it. And, and additionally, if you're spending time deeply sedated and immobilized in hospital, your body is seriously suffering as a result. You're going to get massive muscle wastage. You're going to have nerves disconnecting, joints calcifying. Tens of points are being knocked off people's IQs by being placed into coma. It happens even in short periods when people are having heart surgery just for four to six hours, and they're not the same people afterwards. Multiply that by the weeks and months people are in coma, and they're in a terrible state when they come out. And it's not the initial problems that put them into the coma that they're now suffering from. It is hospital-acquired conditions, complete complete breakdown in, in their ability to, to, to function on a day-to-day -day basis, both mentally and physically, and that's the big difference. Would it be accurate to say that that essentially your book advocates for life without coma and life without medically induced comas being an option? It's a misnomer to believe that placing somebody into a medically induced coma is putting them into a, a safe and comfortable state. It is not the case. There are a handful of instances where people generally agree that it, you can put somebody in a coma. If they're having a brain seizure, for example, certain wounds such as abdominal, where they want to keep people absolutely still, they will deeply sedate them. Beyond that, right, placing somebody into a medically induced coma does not allow them to rest and recuperate. It allows their body and mind to break down. The biggest problem that they get is sleep deprivation. Within three days, anybody normally subjected to, to that level of sleep deprivation can start to lose their mind. And we're talking here of people who are sleep deprived for months at a time in many cases, and that leads to acute brain failure. Well, what I mean, what do you mean by sleep deprivation? Is it not essentially a deep sleep? I would think it exactly the opposite of sleep deprivation. It's been shown by connecting people to uh, brain scanners that they are not sleeping. Effectively, if you look at an EEG machine, it will be flatlining in the deepest states of coma, which is effectively brain dead. Right? There, there, there's no way that any of the brain's normal functions the things that it does every night to help process toxins in the body, all of that is switched off. So if the brain is not performing its normal functions, the body isn't allowed to rest. On top of that, as I said, there's no exercise, there's total lack of mobility. So the body is just wasting away. Coma and near-death experience, the beautiful, disturbing and dangerous world of the unconscious. Available to buy now.